Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Millios. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. Where I want to call my home. So, stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. It's music and dreams and calls. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today, Melissa and I are joining forces to give a little bit of an update on all things penis length. And this is all come about because of the fact that we've actually had a number of patients in recent times who've expressed their great concern about the length of their penis. And we have uh, felt a duty as females to inquire about Things such as average penile length, girth, flaccid size, erect size. And we actually know that most men are pretty concerned about whether or not they're average, below average, or perhaps a little uh, above the average. As females, Melissa and I have often talked that we don't really um, get to appreciate exactly how a man might feel about this. And so, as we always do, we've put it to a few of our patients in recent weeks and we've come up with some interesting case studies. So, Melissa, you said that you had a patient recently who had something that um, you'd like to share. Yeah, so this is kind of where we came at with this conversation and then you told me some very interesting facts about penis size, which I didn't know, which we'll get into after. But I've seen a young guy who's 26 um, a few times now and... He is from a different culture where he has an arranged marriage coming up in the next six months or so and he is very concerned about the size of his penis because he's never had it out in public before and he is absolutely convinced that he has a very small penis. And I've seen him twice. The first time he actually just came in for an STI check, so a sexually transmitted diseases check, which is interesting because he's never he's act- never been sexually he's active. He's never been sexually active. So it was his way, I think, of coming in for an appointment just to actually have the conversation about sure. penal size penis mm. size and mm. having a woman look at his penis because yeah. no one ever had before. Yep. Yep. So the first time I saw him I said to him, you know, you don't really need to have a sexually transmitted diseases check because you have never had sex. Oh, yep. And um, then he sort of fessed up and said, look, actually, 
I've got a marriage coming up. Mm-hmm. I've never showed my penis to a woman other than my mother when I was a little boy. Aww. And I'm really, really worried that I think it's small because his only experience of looking at penises in his culture, you don't even see your brothers, anyone. <gasps> yeah. So, or his mates, so they yep. don't have the whole, you know, football change room episode. Locker room. Yep. So the only experience he has is watching pornography. So he actually thinks that his penis is very, very small. And in actual fact, I see a lot of penises on a day-to-day basis and it is larger than the average size. So what is the average size, Melissa? So the average size of a penis is a blue whale has an 8 to 10 foot one, but we're not talking about blue whales. Blue whales have got the largest penis by girth and length in all species, really? by the way. There yes. you go. And I'm particularly fascinated with pig penises because they look like corkscrews. <laughs> but anyway, that's another subject. So the average side, according to Alfred Kinsey, is 8.8 centimetres long flaccid length and 13 to 15. Um, and this is in a Caucasian male in um, erect length. And we are going to talk about how to measure it. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to know whether they're average, they can. we'll tell you that in a little while. But that this does change according to the like gen- the, the, ca- the nationality that you're from because they're, the average size in an Asian man is smaller and you have a very interesting fact about the average size of the biggest race of penis size. Well, yes, Melissa, in reviewing all the uh, literature and data that we have last night when the rest of my family is watching the Simpsons movie, <laughs> I was secretly getting all these facts and figures and I'd always said that the average... Um, size is what you quoted, 13 to 15 centimetres. So there is something called the penis world map of mm-hmm. uh, penis sizes. But the last time I looked at it, the winning, if you like, uh, country was actually Sudan. But now it's changed to Ecuador. Really? So how long is the Ecuadorian's penis? Well, the Ecuadorian penis is on average, if we talk about uh, penile length, is... About 16.8 centimetres. And I'll just double check that. Because I do remember you quoting a figure to me, which was a Sudanese man's average length of a penis was 20 centimetres. And when I had this conversation with my daughter, she was like, oh my God, you'd levitate. It was quite um, funny, really. But anyway, I, I just want to reiterate here that as fascinating as this penis size is... Um, it really isn't the size that matters. And I bet you every man listening is rolling his eyes going, sure, sure, sure. But honestly, it is not penis size that matters at all from a women's, woman's perspective. It's if you know what you're doing with it or not. So please don't um, – but this is just an interesting fact so that you can all like go home, have a look and go, you know what, I'm not so bad after all. I'm pretty average. So I've got the chart in front of me now. And Sudan used to be, as I said, on average 16.4 centimetres – Sorry, 16.47, so 16.5 centimetres erect length. But now it's Ecuador, which is 17.61 centimetres. Now, what they've done is a percentage of height. And so it's really interesting that Ecuadorian men have a uh, percentage of height ratio of 10.54%. So Sudan is down to 9.63. And if we actually have a look at the other end of the scale... We have men from Cambodia whose average length, erect length is 10.04 centimetres, representing just 6% of their uh, height. So really there's a lot of difference worldwide. And Mm. um, I think 
people are concerned about this and that's how we came up with our podcast title because years ago when I was asked to present at a sexology conference I nipped into one of the other lectures and they were talking about the most looked up internet topic being penis length and when we looked into naming our podcast Melissa you were very keen to call it the willy whisperers (laughs) and I suggested that maybe it would be good to use the word penis because that was the biggest search engine (laughs) topic and um, hence we have hopefully the word penis becoming a little bit more comfortable in everyday uh, conversation. So, yeah, pretty interesting stats, hey? Yeah, so the last time, and I haven't looked this up recently, but I should, the last time I looked up how many times a week the word penis, penis words, penis length was Googled in Australia, and this was a couple of years ago, so it's probably more now, it was 20,000 people on average a week in Australia Google penis length. So it clearly is something that really bothers people. Well, here's the website. It's called World Data. Info. They collect data on everything and the opening sentence says, no other topic on this website has been asked for any more often than the average size of a male genital. Yeah. So mm. there you go. Amazing. So yeah, yeah, this young man, back to the young guy. So yeah. he was really concerned about it and then I tried to reassure him that his penile length was completely normal and his girth was completely normal. But, you know, and that he's maybe had some sort of dysmorphia around this because he'd been watching pornography. Yeah. Um, he then came back a couple of weeks again later and we talked about it a little bit more and I sent him a whole heap of pictures of, uh, from a fantastic book called The Bare Reality, which actually has a hundred pictures of different men's genitals and these stories about their relationship with their genitals. So we'll put that world map link and we'll also put the book in the show notes. Now, Joe, you were talking about dysmorphia earlier. What, what were you saying to me about that? So... Again, um, just trying to see where things are at right now, I came across something known as koro or koro, which in um, Asian countries means the head of the turtle. So it's actually an epidemic and of psychological distress that actually occurs about every decade in East Asian Malaysian um, populations. And I came across this last night. So that's K-O-R-O. And it's talking about the fact that men panic that their penis is retracting and like a turtle head tucking in, it is something that seemingly has outbreaks every decade of of cultural panic. Um, In your and I clinical work, we often use the words fatal retraction. And that's when we see guys who have um, initially not had uh, abnormal or reduced length in their penis very concerned about it. And that's happens from a range of things. So most commonly for us, it's our radical prostatectomy patients um, or even the radiation patients losing their erectile function and then over time getting um, shortening of their penis. We also have another whole group who are men who have Peyronie's disease, the curvature or bending of the penis, and then a range of other men who don't have either of those conditions relating to things like diabetes or cardiovascular function. And you'll often hear me say, that a man's heart health is related to his hard health. So what's your comment there on fatal retraction or even the buried penis syndrome, Melissa? Yeah, so I do see a lot of it, unfortunately, but and mainly, as you say, in post-prostatectomy patients or radiation patients. Um, however, I have definitely seen it in ageing men as well that mm. have not had any sort of disease process around it. And it's just because... 
as we get older, we lose, you know, erectile function goes down. You're not getting as many nocturnal erections. And like I always say, that we need to exercise all the muscles in our body. Your penis is full of smooth muscle. If it's the body's way of taking your penis to the gym is that nocturnal erection. So when men stop waking up with that morning wood in the morning, I think it's a really good idea to actually pay attention and perhaps start making sure you exercise your penis more often. And that might just be a case of self-stimulation so that you get a decent erection a couple of two or three times a week or it might be penile massage or might be using a penis pump or whatever it is. But any lack of exercise causes that shrinking. And so it's important, I think, that men just as they age be aware of their morning wood or their nocturnal erections, not just thinking about it from a disease process point of view. Yeah, and there is that condition facial attraction, which we know statistically talks about for every 35 pounds or 16 kilos of weight gain, there is an equivalent one inch loss in penile length. And that's because the fatty tissue sits on something called the mons pubis, which is the bone at the front. And it's like a fat pad that once it actually builds, it tends to suck the penis in. Mm. So much so that even guys can have difficulty finding their penis to urinate. So this is not funny. It's really important that men have uh, length in their penis because otherwise, particularly if they're incontinent, they can be sitting in pools and puddles of urine and that can cause necrosis and skin damage. I have a really interesting story about this. The first time I ever experienced fatal retraction was when I was a very young nurse actually and I was working on a surgical ward Mm. and we had a young guy come in who was only in his 30s and he was morbidly obese Mm. um, and he was so overweight that they actually had to join two hospital beds together to put him in it and they'd he was basically eating himself to death in his house. He couldn't yeah they had to like cut a hole in the front door to get him out. He was huge. Anyway, and the only way they could weigh him was on a – they had to drive the car on one of those like car weigh bridge things to weigh him. Then they brought him into hospital just to mm-hmm. save his life, to put him on a diet because he was just so – he was going to die. Um, he couldn't even walk. He was mm-hmm. so overweight. But the worst thing is we couldn't get him through the toilet door to go to the toilet and he had such a hard time walking anyway. We had to catheterize him and so – Put a catheter in? Yes, and there weren't many um, – people in the hospital that would do male catheterization at the time. Mm. So um, they called me up from emergency department. Yes. And so it was the hardest catheter I've ever put in because his penis was so buried in this fat that it was almost impossible to find the urethra. Like it really was amazing, like amazingly difficult. Um, Very, very hard because, you know, if anyone's had a catheter put in, you know, you've got to find the eye of the penis and you've got to stick the catheter down and just trying to find that with that much um, like fat was actually really, really difficult. And he was a mess. You know, that guy had been not able to get up to go to the toilet at home. He had rash everywhere. And anyway, to cut a long story short, he ended up being in hospital for 10 months and Mm. he did lose a lot of weight. Um, but yeah, that's just an absolute extreme example Mm. of not being able to find your penis if you put on too much weight. So I think that Jenny Craig should be advertising, (laughs) get another couple of inches back in your penis and lose some weight. You know, if if guys are embarrassed about talking about their penis length, all they have to do is say to them, if you want your penis to be longer, lose lose a stone before your surgery. And Mm. that also enables the doctors to have better nerve sparing procedures. So this is a great motivator for guys. You know, Mm. every guy... In fact, one of my patients, I think I might have quoted this before, just said to me one day, what use am I as a man with a broken weapon? (laughs) And he had Peroni's disease and he was very distressed because as soon as you get Peroni's, that's the curving, you get penile shortening as well. Um, That's another whole conversation. 
I'd like to now just bring us to some of the reasons why men might get penile shortening. So what I'd like you to do, Melissa, is tell us a little bit more about things like diabetes, cardiovascular health. What, 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 why does that happen? Yeah, so when someone has diabetes, they get high blood sugar level. And the high blood sugar level affects your nerves. So that's why people get something called peripheral neuropathy, which is when you get numbing and tingling sensation in your hands and feet and you just don't get as good blood flow down there because the peripheral neuropathy stops the blood flow. So the same thing happens to the nerves that are giving you a, an erection. You know, the, the sugar finds its way down there and it stops them from working. So it's like blocking the, the nerves from sending their messages to give you an erection. So any loss of erectile function will affect the length of the penis. With the um, heart, then when you're getting blocked arteries to the heart, you're also getting blocked arteries to those tiny little blood vessels that feed the penis and they're the first ones to go usually. And we've talked about this a lot in the podcast that if you notice a change that's unexplained in your erectile function, then you really should go and get your heart checked first and foremost because – and it's again, lack of blood flow, lack of erectile function, lack of exercise, shrinkage. So – and the other thing that I've been seeing a lot of lately is guys that have had any kind of pelvic surgery. So yeah. bowel cancer, colorectal surgery. Yep. You know, You've sent me a couple of patients yep. as well because, again, that's not addressed in their typical gastroenterology pa- uh, consults. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think um, – and those guys, those the, the, one, the two that I think I've sent you, both of them had no idea mm. that there was a connection between this massive bowel surgery they've had. Yeah. And their erectile function, they just didn't connect the two. Whereas guys who are having prostate surgery, I think they connect the two. Yeah. So I've got about six different titles and you've already commented. So erectile dysfunction, including changes, any change at all to the penis and penis length. We have vascular causes, which you've mentioned. Neurological causes. What other neurological disorders might lead to this? Things like strokes, um, multiple sclerosis potentially. Parkinson's disease, yep. um, motor neuron disease, mm. anything really that affects the nerve pathways, yeah. any of those. MS, MS. I see, I've actually got quite a lot of MS patients, spinal injuries. Yeah, any, spinal cord injuries is massive, Spinal isn't cord it? injuries, yeah. What about medications? Lots of medications affect mm. them. So the um, antidepressant group, a lot of the cardiac medications, um, definitely the medications that people take for enlarged prostate that can affect your erectile function. What um, are some of those common ones, Melissa? Vesicare, which is uh, there's Vesicare, Tamu, I can never Tamulosin. remember. Tamulosin. Tamulosin, um, Duodart. Oh, I can't think of any Do you think, what moment. about um, Betmega? Have you come across that one being an issue? I have, but Betmega doesn't seem as no. bad, I don't think. I as think Betmega is the best urology jug that I've encountered over the years. That's uh, really good for bladder. Uh, calming or stability, yep. particularly when there's an overactive bladder or lots of leakage. So if anyone's listening and has problems like that, it is a really good one for bladder health and, and improving continence control, but doesn't seem to affect the sexual function Not so as much. much. No. Mm. Oh, and the other thing that I think people often don't think about that affects their sexual function is painkillers. Oh, okay. You know, so any of the opioid painkillers. Wow, so I did not know that. Anything like um, MS Contin, um, Targen morphine, any of the, the opioid-based ones really have a negative effect on – it's like having permanent brewer's droop that you get from alcohol, but it's from those um, medications. And, you know, tramadol affects it. All of those pain wow. reliefs, you really need to – and I think people don't often think about that. No, and don't. often it'll be like 
when I'm talking to somebody, it'll be we try and trace back where they when their erectile issues happened. Yeah, and it's often when they went on a medication for back pain yeah. or something like that that they actually haven't really considered because we don't think about pain relief as affecting that so much. Well, another topic is systemic illness. So, um, if someone's potentially having seizures or um, you know hospitalised for encephalitis or oh, what we haven't talked about. COVID. COVID. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Episode 46 where we talked to uh, physiotherapist Darren Brown and COVID uh, basically uh, in the UK was an epidemic proportions well before Australia. Um, And every single endothelial cell of the lining of the body is affected by COVID, including erectile function. So there's a massive cohort of young men in the UK right now and probably globally as well that are suffering from erectile dysfunction, Peyronie's disease and a whole range of disorders not normally seen in younger males. So <laughs> systemic illness, so absolutely. We, so we might be in a growing field here, mm. uh, pardon the pun. <laughs> well, another pun, brewer's droop. Brewer's droop I always thought was alcohol but again in my little bit of research last night, brewer's droop can occur through stress including marital conflict and even cycling. Any comments on any of those? I can talk about cycling if you can want to talk about stress and marital conflict. Yes, definitely. <laughs> or relationship conflict. So the reason people usually get an erection and then it goes away when they're trying to have sex, so it's like, you know, it goes up but it doesn't stay for the party, mm. is because they get a thing called the flight and flight response. So most yep. of us have heard about that. When we get frightened... Um, then we get a big rush of adrenaline through our body. Adrenaline is like, I think of it as Superman, kryptonite to Superman. Yep. It's kryptonite to erections. Adrenaline yep. causes vasoconstriction and the erection goes down. So if you're not having a great marriage yep. or you're not very happy with your partner at the time or they're not happy with you, yep. then you get anxious, don't you? Mm. And anxiety makes you produce adrenaline and then you get brewer's droop. So... Um, yeah, it's it's not really brewer's droop, it's anxiety droop. So <laughs> alcohol is a massive component Very of big. cancers, of cardiovascular health, of absolutely everything. In fact, yesterday I was listening to an interview with a um, cardio uh, – what was that? Uh, cardiology exercise physiologist who'd just done a whole lot of research on atrial fibrillation and they were talking about if guys had atrial fibrillation and had more than three units of alcohol a week – the atrial fibrillation continued to be a problem. If they cut it down mm-hmm. within six months of reducing down to no alcohol or a maximum of three standard drinks per week, atrial fibrillation stopped by at least 50%. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, this research has only just come out, like I think this in the last week. Mm. And atrial fibrillation, uh, what is atrial fibrillation, Melissa? It's when your heart flutters. Mm. So um, it's basically you get very fast heartbeat um, and it doesn't pump completely. So you get, I'm just trying to think of a basic way of explaining it. So if you think about when you batter your eyelashes, maybe, um, that is a bit like. I'll um, do that now, but no one can see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's that very fast pumping yep. of the heart, but it's I not giving a complete squeeze and yep. a nice good pump to get and the d- blood around. Are you aware of any relationship to erectile dysfunction with people, guys with actual fibrillation? I've seen lots of patients with AF, but to be honest, I've never really made the connection. But a lot of guys who are on in a, have AF are on the cardiac drugs that affect your yeah. erectile function. So they kind of all go hand in hand. Mm. In my experience, any cardiac issue yep. will definitely affect your erectile function. Okay. Now, I want to... Oh, wait a minute. There's one more point about that. 
cardiac issues don't just affect men's sexual function. Sure. Yeah. They really affect women's sexual function as well. So women who are having trouble with their sexual function, they need to check their heart out as well. It's just not so obvious for women that it's related. Okay, so this brings me back to that same that same conference that I went to when I found out about the most looked up um, internet topic being penis length mm-hmm. was that females get very poor signs of an impending heart attack compared yes. to men and that over time with I believe the estrogen dropping down and cardiac changes in women that the re- sensation to the uh, female genitalia actually decreases yeah, that's and right. that can be a sign of just like Peroni's disease or erectile dysfunction in men the simultaneous situation in females. Can you enlarge on that? Yeah, that's true. So if I see some a lady that comes in as much as um, that comes in with sexual dysfunction and she's, you know, over forty, yeah. I would definitely look into her cardiovascular status. Which is the same. Any guy with erectile dysfunction, we should look into that as well and rule it out as an issue. What are the basic cardiovascular tests that our listeners should be asking Um, for? They need to get their cholesterol checked, they need to have their blood pressure checked regularly. If their cholesterol is high, then they probably should have a calcium C T score, which um, checks to see. Coronary calcium score. Yeah, coronary calcium score. And then if there's any shortness of breath, um, anything like that, then I would always send them off for an ECG or an echocardiogram as well. Okay. Um, I'm just going to talk about this cycling issue. Mm, so yes. years ago I met a guy and he said that um, he was doing a charity bike ride and he was on a bike for 24 hours pedalling away and after 24 hours he achieved his goal but then he didn't feel his penis for the next four weeks and it was numb. And then I found out not long after that that in Perth there's a cycling group called the numb cockitis <laughs> cycling group. So this is truly a problem. Cyclists sit on a hard seat generally and even the PSA can be risen up by that compression there. But the guys thinking it's okay to have a numb cock or perineum, <laughs> as the numb cockitis group said, they were making a joke of it. And this guy who'd done the charity ride for four, 24 hours, I mean, the, the fact that he couldn't feel anything... It's terrible. It's compressing the uh, pudendal nerve, reducing the blood flow to the area and causing quite a lot of trauma. So we definitely don't want guys doing that. So there's something called the prostate health bike seats. Every bike shop should actually be stocking them these days. You can even go to bikeseat.com and you'll see prostate relief or prostate health bike seat. There's simply a cutout in the middle of the bike seat and it more evenly distributes the weight bearing onto the sit bones rather than just on the front groin or perineal area. I just wanted to bring that to attention because it's it's really important and we can get patients with chronic pelvic pain because of cycling and then they end up with erectile dysfunction, bowel dysfunction and urinary issues as well. I also tell them to get one of those seats plus wear padded bike pants. Yep. Um, The other thing I think about that, I actually have one of the public talks I give, I actually have a slide of a... Um, kangaroo riding on a bike because, right. you know, we call men, you know, middle-aged men in lycra mammals. Oh, do we? Yes, middle-aged men in lycra are mammals. Oh. So I've – and so, you know, if you're not a bike rider, next time you look at a group of mammals <laughs> in the bike shop – in the coffee shop with all their bikes parked out the front going, hmm, I wonder how many of you have got limpies. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yes, so mammals. Mammals, it's a problem they need to get – if you're going to spend – Spending time on a bike is so healthy for the rest of your body, but it's yep. not great for your penis. Mm. So get a proper seat and wear a pair of padded pants. 
Okay, I'm going to move the topic completely to the youth and pornography and hard flaccid syndrome. Now, hard flaccid syndrome is not well understood. There's only two research papers, one in 2019 and one in 2020, and they're discovering case studies of this condition, which is similar to something called genital um, arousal disorder in women. So it's when there's prolonged orgasm. It's associated with the pelvic floor being tight and the pudendal nerve or the nerve of the private parts being irritated. Now, what's happening is there's this wave and epidemic proportions from young males learning about sex through pornography from, say, 10 years of age. And what they're seeing is enhanced penile length because porn stars don't actually have natural organs, do they? No. So, Well, they do have, but they're like on the – if you looked at the bell curve, they're right out there on the far end. <laughs> so they use Botox, they use extenders, all sorts of things. Yeah. So from a very early age, young males are thinking that they're not normal. Yes. And so then what they're doing is they're going to something called jelking mm. and they're using a whole lot of apparatus like extenders and various things. They're causing themselves trauma. That's then causing them more psychological distress and they're actually injuring themselves. Have you got any comment to make about this new phenomena, hard flaccid syndrome? Well, I actually haven't seen it very much, but I did um, look at those papers that you sent me through a while back. And this is an interesting conversation about this jelking because reading those, I was like, oh my God, no one should jelk. But I've since figured out, only because it actually was pointed out to me recently by Victoria Cullen, who yeah. has a video on jelking, that there seems to be two different definitions of that word so one is this quite violent using a pump stretching it you know which is causing trauma to the penis and causing that problem that you are, Mm -hmm. are talking about like scar tissue in the penis and then there is another version of jelking which is gentle massaging and the blood flow where you grab the base of the penis Mm. and you just gently massage the blood into the shaft of the penis okay so when i watched victoria's video on this i was like oh that's perfectly safe and not harmful it's just like gentle masturbation yep but then when we talk about the other type of joking that you're talking about extremely dangerous and terrible so i think it's all about the definition of you know we certainly shouldn't be be causing trauma to the shaft of the penis okay so i've just actually looked up joking it's j-e-l-q-i-n-g and it talks about a gentle massage from a circle shape around the base of the penis with the index finger and the thumb that's number one number two slowly tighten the circle until it exerts gentle pressure on the shaft of the penis. Then three, move the circle gradually towards the head of the penis and four, repeat daily um, for up to 20 minutes. Now, that's a very, very gentle um, yes, exercise. So, so, so that's what I, I – that's fine, but that's yeah. totally different to what we were talking about previously where people were using um, penis pumps and things to really mm. traumatically really lengthen and extend and – they put weights on their penis and all sorts of things that cause problems. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the thing I'm concerned about, Melissa, is we have young men with erectile dysfunction potentially going to see their GPs, describing the fact that they're feeling down and they can't have relationships or whatever. Then they're put on antidepressants, mm. which triggers off even more erectile dysfunction or reduced libido, all sorts of things. And then what I see is men going into suicidal ideation and the catastrophic sequelae potentially is something I think even parents have no idea about. You know, young – I'm talking to people a lot in the community and they're aware 
mm. that their 10-year-old grandsons are looking at pornography. Mm. Um, it's really important that we have these conversations with our children, no matter what their age, to let them know that the pornographic sites aren't a picture of normal. And there is um, actually a thing called Net Nanny. Have you heard of that? No. So Net Nanny, parents, you can put it on your phones and you can put it on your televisions at home. You can put it on your computers. It's a program that you download and it stops people from looking at pornography on their um, data. Mm. So, you know, if your child has a mobile phone at the age of 10, which, you know, sometimes is actually necessary nowadays because it's how we organise our lives and pick our kids up and do all those things then I think it's highly advisable to put one of those programs. There's more than Net Nanny, but that's the most common one. Mm. Um, they work really well. And I also think it's important to have a conversation with young um, teenagers about that not all pornography is bad. Yeah. So they do need to learn about somewhere. sex from somewhere. And there is a lot of ethical porn. Um, you know, there is, there's vanilla sex, there's ethical porn sites. Ethical porn sites? Yeah. Well, Melissa, I have never heard of that. That <laughs> yeah. is so cool. Yep. So if you Google ethical porn, I actually think it's, kids are going to want to, especially teenagers, they want yep. to look at pornography. They're visual learners. You know, they're no different to, you know, in our day, our husbands, I'm sure, pinched their dad's People magazine and had a look at the girls' boobs and, you yep. know, whatever, bums, guys' penises, whatever they looked at. <laughs> Um, but, you know, nowadays this is the only option. You don't yeah. really go in and buy a stick book anymore. Mm. So I think it's about having a conversation with your children saying, you know, not all porn is bad. Yeah, okay. When you go and I've maybe never thought about it like this. spend a bit yeah. of time, look up ethical porn. Um, there's a lady called Erica and I've just completely forgotten her surname. We, we will add this to the show, the show notes, notes, I think. Yeah. I think it's really – if we can provide a, a safe resource. Yeah, and mm. she provide, um, you know – if her pornography, you actually have to pay for it. So free pornography is often <laughs> not great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you pay a subscribing thing. And I think it's it's actually really quite responsible. And this is probably not going to go down very well with a lot of people. But to actually say to your teenagers, if you want to look at porn, which you probably do because it's yeah. normal curiosity and everyone yeah. else is doing it. Yeah. There's the type of porn where people are, it's done illegally and... Legally, are, not illegally. Sorry, sorry. There's the type that is done illegally uh, yeah, where they're okay. like, you know, the, the um, people acting in it might uh, be yeah. it drugged and all sorts of horrible things. They might be, you know, slave trade or whatever. But there's mm. also ethical porn where people choose to work, yep. work as porn stars and they're not, in, you know, doing horrible things to each other and there's vanilla sex porn. And I think it could be a really good learning resource as long as you, you're better off having your eyes open and directing your sure. teenagers to healthy pornography sites mm. than you are. I really, I, I really, really value your opinion there, Melissa, because just the word pornography br conjures up yes. everything bad, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, mm. yeah, I agree. So maybe we've got to come up with another word. I mean, yes. ethical pornography puts it in such a way, but even I'd say ninety-five percent of the population would be adverse. So, of course, what's yeah. a p word that we could come up with? We'd really appreciate our listeners also <laughs> if you have any thoughts on that, because. Um, it's, it's basically ethical sexual learning, isn't mm. it? And mm. also, you know, I think it's the same with erotica, you yeah. know, reading erotica. Mm. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with reading erotica. But, mm. you know, the problem with these things is that you start off usually reading about, you know, normal 
couples having yeah. sex and then it goes on to someone having more sex deviant. with a yeah. with a more deviant all the time, you know, with a donkey or something. And then yeah. you can't – and this is the problem we have in society yeah. is that if you go that way, then it's yeah. very difficult to become aroused with a normal partner. Yeah. So I think oh, that, that's a, a really big problem. Um, I get patients, young men all the time that are so concerned because mm. their gratification index is associated with visual stimulation, not tactile yes. touch stimulation. And I've, I've had guys who are – getting married and they've never been able to have sex with their bride, impending yeah. bride, because they've not got any confidence with, with touch. So, I mean, God, that's another whole thing. We should actually uh, potentially talk to a psychologist about that because that's a whole deprogramming um, scenario where they have to switch off their porn, they have to learn to do things like the mm. um, sensual, sexual, uh, sensate focus. I've actually recently seen a guy in his 40s mm. who had anorgasmia, was unable to have an orgasm when he was yep. with his partner. Yep. Um, and when I talked to him about his pornography watching, he was a FIFO worker yep. and watching porn the, whenever he was away yep. and no trouble having an orgasm when he was masturbating but a lot of trouble with his partner yep. which was causing a lot of Classic marital textbook case issues. For me. Yep. Yep. And he was such an easy fix. I did two things with him. Yep. Um, the first one was just said, do not watch any porn yep. and do not masturbate mm -hmm. for the time you're away and see how you go. Within yep. two um, trips away, problem solved. You were going to send him to me because we thought it might be pelvic floor dysfunction. We but did, yeah, but it was fine. He was fine. Good on you. Mm. Now, let's talk a little bit more about fixes. So, um, from your point of view, what I want to do is see what medications or penile rehabilitation strategies you might have that are safe for penile length. But let's talk about how to measure penile length first. Yes, good. You go for that. So penile length, we really want to get what's called the facet stretch length. And if you do it from the top side, it's a very different number if you from if you do it from the underneath side. So we want to think about the bit that's the external penis or the pendulous bit. So what you need to do is you go to the pubic bone at the top and basically you can put a ruler or one of those um, ones that wheel out. What are they called? <laughs> The wheel rulers. Out. Tape measure. The tape measure. There you go. <laughs> the wheelie tape measure. The wheelie tape measure. Wheelie, wheelie big. <laughs> um, to the head of the penis. So at the head of the penis or the tip, there's the urethral meatus and that's where the urine comes out. So you want to – It's the eye. The eye of the penis. Let's make that. I get too, too uh, anatomical, don't I? So against your body, as deep as you can go against that pubic bone, in to the centre, aligning the ruler or – the wheelie tape <laughs> to the eye of the penis. Now, what you're looking for then is to stretch it out to your maximum and that's the facet stretch length. And that will probably be about two centimetres shorter than your erect length. But you can do the erect length the same way. And then for the girth, you go to the widest part of your penis and you simply just do a loop circumferentially. Yep. Now, there is something called the penile... Angle. Do you know about that one, Melissa? Yeah, that's the angle that it hangs away from the body. So you usually find that young guys, their penis is flat up against their tummy mm -hmm. and then as they age, the penile angle gets wider. It doesn't really affect your function though. It's just the way it looks. I'll actually remember one of my girlfriends once saying to me, and she's probably listening and having a chuckle to herself, saying to me when we were about 40, I don't know what's wrong with my husband's penis. It used to sit flat against his belly and now it's kind of like hangs out at about 50 degrees. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just age. <laughs> normal, normal ageing. <laughs> I do a bit of a visual gag. I, I have my hand 
and I go, there's, you know, five fingers on my hand mm-hmm. and then you put your hand to the side like laterally as if your palm is placed on your heart mm-hmm. and if you stretch all your fingers out, the thumb will be at 90 degrees upwards. That's when you're 20 mm-hmm. and then for every decade it starts to change. So if your fingers spread, your index finger, let's say, is 50. Ah. At 60 it starts to, the angle starts to increase but it's actually lowering yep. until you get to... 50, 60, 70, 80. And when you're 80, it's And when you're 80, the average man in Australia is already on his last breath. (laughs) (laughs) Women have five more years. Um, So, yeah, it's a really good kind of hand hand gesture scenario. But the reason the pubo-penile angle changes is for a number of things. One, the tension of the suspensory ligament. So that's the normal ligaments that there. That actually lose a bit of their uh, collagen as you get older. Then the extent of the erection, extent being function or capacity. Yeah. And then the penis size and then the tone and strength of the two pelvic floor muscles that are really important with blood filling, the ischiocavenosis or IC and the bulbocavenosis or BC. So there's good reason to do pelvic floor exercises. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. Really interesting. And that brings me to testicles changing okay. over time. Yep. So – Testicles also change over time. They mm-hmm. get, you know, they get saggy, a bit like breasts. They, mm-hmm. you know, gravity catches up with them. Yep. So abnormalities in testicles. I often see guys that say one of my testicles is not hanging down as far as the other. Is that a problem? That's normal anatomical. If it's normal for you. Mm-hmm. So I think testicles are a bit like breasts. If you notice any change in your own testicle, like colour change, the way it hangs, the way it feels, anything like that, you should get it checked. But if you're a young person listening and one testicle is always hung a little bit lower than the other, then you're completely normal. I did see there's a website called Manscaped and on it they sell ball toner, which I thought was quite funny. And they also sell ball deodoriser, which was funny as well. But the... Yes, the ball toner was supposedly you put it on and it makes them all like shrink up and look neater. But I don't really <laughs> imagine that that actually does anything, but it, it, it entertained me. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. Um, before we wrap up, just got a couple of books I reckon we should mention. Yep. Um, sorry, we've got to talk about some fixes. Just generally speaking, mm. if someone's concerned about their penile length and we've sort of raised those topics... What would they need to do to get some assistance? Medications, pumps? Well, medication doesn't really work. Using a pump can slightly increase the length and the girth, but only, remember this is only if the penis is unhealthy. So if you've lost erectile function and then we're going to use a pump, to that can help us return it to its normal original size. But nothing's going to make a penis bigger other than surgery. Yeah. There is some... Some traction devices out there which apparently do actually work according to their research. But, you know, who wants to walk around with a medieval traction device strapped to their leg with their penis on for a minimum of eight hours a day Mm. for it to actually work? So I think it's more of a psychological issue and it's about coming to terms with the fact that it is what it is. And penis size, you know, really doesn't matter that much from a partner's perspective. And there's actually something called PSA – sorry – SPA, small penis anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's a syndrome where evidence has shown that four out of five men that were concerned about their penis length had partners interviewed. Mm. And 75% of the time the partners were not concerned and had no idea their partner was distressed about it. Yeah. And, and you know, that's across both sexes, all, mm. all um, sexual 
activities where small penis anxiety is a real thing, which really was the highlight of why I wanted to have this conversation too because I actually had a patient come and see me about three weeks ago. In fact, I've had two who was referred to me with a micro penis. A micro penis being what was, you know, a very small penis, except he'd been to a GP that had referred him to a urologist that had referred him to me, neither of whom had ever examined him. Mm. So when I examined him, he had a more, more of what you would call a shower than a grower mm-hmm. evidence, a much larger penis than his natural. And I said to him, who, who told you you had a micro penis? Who examined you? He said, no one examined me. I've always thought, Oh. That I was small. And for 40 years... That poor man. I've had this cycle of distress around it. And he burst into tears when I said, you're, you're above average. Yeah. And that's then I had another patient the same week and I relayed the same conversation to him because he'd never been with a sexual partner. And he also has had years and years of psychological trauma thinking that his penis was smaller than average and he wouldn't be able to satisfy a partner. Oh, it's tragic, isn't it? So if there's any health professionals out there, please look at your patients when they tell you they've got a small penis and actually make sure they have. Actually, Even ask them. Ask them. Ask, yeah. Bring this penis word into our conversation. The other thing, actually, while, while we're thinking of that, there's lots of other kinds of abnormalities with penises and testicles and I think we should just brush on that that none of them are the same so have check out that bare reality book and have a look at those pictures yeah Yeah. and also you know there's something called pearly papules which we also call penile frills which we talked about in another Mm. episode Um, they're completely normal and people are often confused with them Um, yeah veins some people have veins on their penis some people don't some people have I've seen quite a lot of penises that have like um, birthmarks on. I've got a couple of patients who have got, and I, the name has lost me at the moment, but they've got that pigment, skin pigment disorder where they've got like, look, their Vertilio? penis. That's it. Yep. Their penis looks like a, um, like a Appaloosa horse, you know. Mm. But I think, you know, it's all about embracing the fact that we're all different. Individual. And, you know, that is not a bad thing that if you've got different pigments, it's just unusual and it's different. Mm. And it's much the same with women's vaginas and vulvas yeah. they're all different sizes and shapes and colors and freckles and moles and skin tags and all sorts of things yeah. so all the, normal and i think if you are worried about what your penis looks like and it's holding you back from having a relationship then please come and see a health professional and someone who sees a lot of penises so they can have a look and go you know what that's normal or maybe it's not and we need to help you with that Mm. So let's just share the resources. So I've got my favourite book and it's written by Dr. Andrew Segal, S-I-E-G-E-L. And I got to um, learn about Dr. Andy Segal because he developed a product called the Private Gym to actually help build pelvic floor muscle strength. And it's an external device, it's a weight system device. But his book called Male Pelvic Fitness is all about optimising sexual and urinary health. And he's actually a urologist from the US and I've been really impressed with his good conversational um, information and that's my book to recommend to everyone listening. Well, I haven't read it so I'm going to get it. I'll borrow Joe's copy and my favourite book is The Penis Book by Aaron Spitz. Um, He's a doctor or urologist actually in America as well and he has a book with a great big picture of an eggplant on the front which is quite cute And he has a five-step plan for maximising penis health. He talks about food, exercise, all of those things. But he also speaks in plain, plain language. Dr. Seagal. And makes you understand everything there is to know. And he also dispels myths and all sorts of things. So 
Yeah, he's um, he's also got some really great YouTube videos, this uh, guy. So this I guy's got – I'm just looking, Andy Seagal's, uh, if you want to have a look already, it's www.malepelvicfitness.com. That's a website you can access. Great. And I reckon that's pretty much all we need to cover today. Melissa, I think this will be one of our most important podcasts. And as females, we have a unique position to see mm. every day. I, I'd see five, seven, eight, you see – about 15. 15 penises a day. So we we have the extraordinary opportunity to reassure guys mm. um, that they're normal. Yeah. And that is something, if they're ever concerned, to just raise. And just so much more important things to worry about in your sexual function than there is penis size. Penis so functionality so is important, your relationship, your ability to be intimate and connected with someone, all of those things are so much more important than penis size. So. Mm. I've got one kind of like quirky fact okay. that I'm going to share with you because this was something I stumbled across last night while my family was watching The Simpsons and that is that if men historically were hung during a capital punishment, mm. that the last thing that would happen would be as their neck broke, they went into a state of rigor mortis and a final erection would occur and they called that the final salute. <laughs> That's classic. Isn't that crazy? That is excellent. I like it's that. Like it's like I'm having the last laugh or… It's like I'm going out with a bang. Going out with a bang. I've got one more <laughs> fun fact. I'm sorry. Okay. We yep. have to go and then we will go everybody. We'll let you get on with your day. Yeah. So, the other fun fact is, has anyone heard of the band 10CC? Mm, yes. And so, the band 10CC was an English rock band that started in 1972 and their name comes from, that is the volume of ejaculate. The average volume of ejaculate is 10CCs or 2.5 to 5 mils, if anyone's ever wondering. So, there you go. Um, there's quite a lot of rock songs. Oh, wait, we're getting a little bit of it here. Joe's playing it. Yep, that's them. I'll leave you to look up and try to remember this song, everyone. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming and listening to The Penis Project. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy and please share. Tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love for you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email about newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review. And this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and 
This gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days, I learned to value each and every one. Of those warm afternoons, boys on their bikes, shooting stones at each other through the